Dear brethren, what is the most important thing we should be doing right now as we see the events of the end time being, uh, I just gave a sermon in Spanish, it says the, the actors of the final scene of world history. So it's not the same title for today, because I thought more important to know the details of prophecy, there is something much more important we should be doing as we see the end approaching. And Mr. Weston has advised us in excellent article he wrote, and what he has taught to the Council of Elders, we don't set dates, but we cannot help but see the actors of the final scene of human drama being ready to enter the stage, my dear friends. So what's the most important thing we should be doing right now in front of those events that are, seem to be approaching quite quickly? Boy, there to say, brethren, that there is a foundational doctrine that Jesus Christ taught us without which we cannot grow spiritually. And that's the most important thing we should be doing right now. As we see time approaching, we should be busy doing everything we can, working in the transformation of our character to be a reflection of the character of Jesus Christ and God the Father. That's the most important thing. Without that, we will not enter the kingdom of God. I don't pretend to cover the whole subject today because the Bible amazingly is, is, is harmonized in every direction you start finding new relations and wonderful things. It's a marvelous book. But I would dare to use a statement that Jesus Christ used, and actually we find it five times in the Gospels. Five times. He repeats, the Gospels were inspired, the writer was inspired to report, to write this down for us, and it's being brought to our time right now. Thank God, Christ said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So, I'm going to read you, and you will follow me, to see how important this is, and what it means, I know many of you know this, but the, the Apostle Peter says, I will not cease to remind you these things before I go, because are foundational things, brethren, foundational things for our spiritual growth, for the fulfillment of our calling. So we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I don't like much the fact that we use often the word Christian because you know there are more than almost two billion false Christians. <laughs> and when you read in the Bible, the word Christian appears just a few times, but the word, the word disciples comes out quite often, and the word saints also, much more frequently than the word Christian. I'm not saying we should not use it, but it's more accurate in our case to use the word disciple is the one who disciplines himself according to his master. So I'm going to read in chapter 10 of the book of Matthew. I ask you please, brethren, to look at verse 38. Matthew, verse 38, and we'll go through all the times this has been recorded for us, for emphasis. 
Mr. Armstrong used to say emphasis is the best, or repetition is the best way, the, the best kind of emphasis. This is so important, we'll read it a few times. So we remember it, brethren, and try to understand what it means. I know many of you know what it means, but it doesn't matter if we just review these things because they are foundational. In the chapter 10 of the book of Matthew and verse 38, we read, brethren, he says, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. I have heard quite a few explanations about what the cross is. We are going to let the Bible speak for, it, for itself, which is another thing that the word of the living God, of Jesus Christ himself, in print. So let's go to Matthew chapter 16, and we'll find the same statement again. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, remember this, we're going to call, talking of discipline here. A disciple is the one who disciplines himself to be like his master, like his supreme example. Then Jesus said to his disciples, this is Matthew 16, 24, If anyone desires to come after me, and I know we all desire to come after him, that's why we are right here today, meeting on the Sabbath and keeping the feast that he kept as a sign that we are his. Let him deny himself. You know, he's adding an element here. Not only take up the cross. He says, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Second time in Matthew. Let's look in Mark. And we see we'll find it again. Chapter 8, dear brethren. Chapter 8 of the book of Mark, we find in, in verse 34. 8.34 of the book of Mark. And when he had called the people to him with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Third time. Let's go for the four in chapter 9 of the book of Luke. Why does he repeat this so many times? Because, like I said to you, it's probably the most important thing we should be doing right now in preparation, if it's the case, for the end of this era or for our preparation for entering the kingdom of God whenever God will do it for us, will open that door for us. Nine, Luke 9, and we see that then elements have been added. First he said, take off his cross and follow me. Then we find, deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. We're going to find another element here. Chapter 9. That's why I decided to read all of this to you, my brethren. Chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them, to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily. Daily. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. He's adding one more element to this amazing principle. And follow me. And then we find it again. 
for the fifth time in Luke chapter 14. Dear brethren, Luke chapter 14 and verse 27. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Again, we're talking of discipline, a tremendous discipline. What does it mean to take up your cross? First of all, brethren, as we will look for the explanation from the Bible itself, let me tell you, in the days of Jesus Christ, nobody would take a little cross and put it on his chest as an ornament. It was the most dreadful thing you could think about. It was the worst kind of death designed by men and used by the Romans to punish criminals and those that were the enemies of the state. It was a horrible torture. And people saw those people hanging there in crosses just outside the city. So nobody would think about the cross to put it like an ornament on his chest. It was an instrument of death, the worst death. So what is Christ talking about? Let's see. Let's go now to Romans chapter 6, and we'll start understanding what does this mean. Chapter 6 of the book of Romans, in verse 6. Romans 6, 6, knowing that this, that our old man was crucified with him. There is something in us that needs to die day by day, brethren. This is not a nice little doctrine. Oh, the cross is, some people say, is my mother-in-law, you know. It's just terrible, I cannot... I almost cannot. <laughs> all, this, all I say is my son who became a drug addict. That's my cross. No, brethren. The cross, according to what we are seeing here, is knowing that the old man was crucified with him, that, we, that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So it's something in us that has to die, brethren. And there are more scripture. I will go to a few more that are essential for us to fully understand this concept that is essential for a disciple of Jesus Christ to understand it, put it to work, to enter the kingdom of God. Let's go to Galatians. We all know very well this list of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So, let's read for a moment, because I'm not to stay too long here, just for the sake of understanding. In verse 19 of chapter 5 of the book of Galatians, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions. Let's keep this in mind. Jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, 
dissensions or dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he read the fruit of the Spirit. We'll go to that later on in another chapter. But let's what he says in verse 24 to clarify what it means to take the cross. Even more clearly now. He says 5.24 of the book of Galatians. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. There you have it. It's to put to death what comes out of our primary impulses, our human nature, that same nature that Paul says he had to fight with in chapter 7. I'm not going to go there. Chapter 7 of Romans. But at the end of that chapter, people stop reading there. In chapter 8, it's a continuation. That was the, it was a division made by humans, which is useful for us to locate the scriptures. But immediately after, he says, there is no condemnation for those that walk in the Spirit, those that have Christ inside them, because they can overcome. So once again, he says here, against, in verse 24, Galatians 5, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. There it is. How do we put that to work? There are many ways. One is, to, of course, I can make a study right now of the fruits of the Spirit. But we're going to do that work from another area of the Bible, which I think you suspect what it is. If we are working here, brethren, as this calling we have to develop the character of God, what is the definition of the character of God? God is love. 1 John chapter 4 verse 8 and 1 John chapter 4 verse 16. Repeat it twice. God is love. That's the definition of God himself. And he defines his character. Now remember one thing, brethren. Jesus Christ said, The kingdom of God suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. In the degree, in the same degree that we put to death all these primary impulses of our human nature, if we put them to death in a radical way, brethren, some people grow spiritually very quickly. Others, I include myself, brethren, were slower to grow. It takes us longer to understand what it means to take up the cross daily and to deny ourselves, to apply that discipline to every single day, in putting to death our primary impulses, what comes out of our nature that does harm, that is the carnal nature, that explains how the world is going today and how it's going to get worse. We have to go in the very opposite direction, brethren. 
denying our human nature, not only denying it, put it to death, crucify it, and follow Christ. That's quite a discipline. And he's said to us to do it every day. And we're going to see that every day we have many opportunities to put to death our primary impulses that guide the world, the desires of the eyes, the desire of the flesh, and the pride of life. Those all go with the human nature, with the carnal nature. Our mission, if we are to rule the world, is to develop the opposite, brethren, to put those things to death in a radical way, not nicely, a little bit here, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. The time is short, brethren. And uh, let's read then chapter 13 of the book of 1 Corinthians. And we'll see a few guidelines. God is love. This is the chapter of love. Sometimes when people think of love, is this nice feeling, yes, I love you, which is very good. We heard a beautiful sermonette about empathy. That's certainly part of it. But for it to be sincere, to come from the depths of our being, and be Christ himself who manifests through us, there is something has to be taken from the way, to be banished from us. That human nature, brethren, has to be put to death. And then the transformation starts taking place. It is the character of Jesus Christ who starts to be manifested in us and on our human nature who causes problems day by day in marriages, in questions, parents and children. It starts at home with our own selves and then among nations, as we see, as we see more and more today in the world scene. The reason is people do not know that way, the way of putting to death. And, and Paul himself, I forgot to say this. I need to go back to first to Galatians chapter 2. After he says that those are Christ have crucified the flesh with all their lusts, in the beginning we find the verse that was the favorite one of Dr. Meredith. And that clarifies even more what taking the cross means. What important is to understand what it means. It says, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. What is Paul talking about? I have learned to deny myself, to take up the cross daily, and to follow Christ. Exactly what we need to do, dear brethren. We have to do what Christ did. We have to do what Paul did. Is commanded to all of us. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Because that human nature is being put to death daily. So Christ can be manifested through us. That's what is the objective, brethren. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We know this was the favorite verse of Dr. Meredith. And how can we do that? It's explained here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, brethren. And I don't pretend, first of all, I'm not the best example for this. We are all working on this. Like Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 13, 
I leave things that are behind. I leave behind. We repent of our mistakes, our carnal nature, and we go forward to achieve the goal that we are commanded to achieve, to let Christ live in us and be crucified with him because we have put to death or put to death daily our human reactions, our human nature that are just a source of every kind of problem, my friends. That's the lack of character. Sometimes we go for years, and that's been my case, for years in the church we are fully understanding this thing, that we have to acquire this nature, and that it takes a radical decision. The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. That means people that decide, I'm going to put to death my human nature. And they fast often, and they pray daily, and they study this Bible daily to overcome. Then the transformation starts taking place when people grow very quickly. And some of us just drag behind because we have not been diligent of our understanding has not been very precise of what this means. And let's see what Paul says about love. It's not that nice feeling. It is a nice feeling, brethren, when it starts flowing like living water. But for that to happen, there is something called a discipline that is pretty hard to apply. Pretty hard to discipline ourselves to be the disciples of Christ. Let's read the amazing introduction. Chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels who have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Maybe this is vacuum, you know, it's a vacuum inside. There is no real substance. There is not a presence of God in us. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. This is pretty amazing, brethren. This is pretty radical. We desire, of course, those gifts of the Spirit. And Paul says, I will teach you for a better one. It's other than this one. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. That's amazing, brethren. Now let's go to verse 4. Love suffers long. Suffers. That means we're talking of something painful. Something related to death. Brethren, for us to have peace at home, for us to have peace at work, for us to have peace wherever we are, it takes long suffering. We cannot react according to our impulses to anything that we don't like. We need to deny ourselves and start creating an atmosphere of peace and joy because we don't start problems. We suffer long, like it says in, in, in the book of, of Proverbs. Let's read this. There are several Proverbs that help us illustrate this concept. In chapter 10 of the book of Proverbs, brethren, it says here, chapter 10 and verse 12 of the book of Proverbs. 
10:12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins, all faults. Hatred stirs up strife. So there is a lot of self-denial, brethren, not to start causing a strife time after time during the day, wherever we are. Where we walk, there's strife because we're reacting according to our first impulses. We don't suffer long to put them to death and let the nature of Christ be manifested through us. It's hard. Sometimes we think we die when sometimes people really poke us and we have to suffer long. And you know what? We're talking about the character of God. We're going to see what the character of God he describes in himself in chapter 34 of the book of uh, Exodus. Let's go there for a moment. How he describes his character. And he is the ruler of the universe. And we have to learn to be like him, to rule with him. Chap- chapter 34 of the book of Exodus. He says, verse 6. He said to Moses, come up, I'm going to pronounce my name before you. The name is not a phonetic sound. The name is what God is and what some of us ought to be. God changed the name of those that he was electing. He's going to change our name eventually. He has revealed a few names. But only when a person changes, God reveals his function. Abraham was Changed to Abraham, the father of multitude, because he was the role he was going to fulfill. That's what he was to be, and he did it, and he became the father of faithful. Jacob, after he wrestles with God, wrestled with God all night. His name was changed to Israel, who means overcomer, and we are the Israel of God. And we are called to be overcomers. And God will change our names. or will reveal the names he has for us if we overcome. So that's an important, interesting subject. But right here, let me read this beautiful description of God, what he is. Chapter 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed before him proclaimed, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, my means the eternal, the eternal. The ever-living one. I think sometimes we change, this translation don't convey much. God, merciful and gracious. There is his character. That's what he is. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. Remember, he said to Moses in the book of Numbers, I think it's chapter 14, they have provoked me ten times already. And God long-suffered time after time. After all the miracles, after all the amazing wonders he performed in their sight, and they continue to turn against him and to get discouraged and not have trust in him. But he says, God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, and then visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. 
But we know when there is repentance, that visiting stops right there. When someone decides to change and follow God. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, my dear brethren. What is this? I think I lost it. Anyway, so let's find it again. So the first description of love is that it suffers long. That means we have to put to death our first reaction and be able by crying out to God because he commands us to do that and he gives us the spirit to be able to overcome it. But we have to do our part. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. We need to deny ourselves not to respond according to our human nature and our primary impulses. We need to learn to be long-suffering. And I tell you, I'm, I'm just learning that, brethren, exactly what it means. We are all learning here. I'm the first one to be learning these things, which is love suffers long. Let's see a few Proverbs that help us to understand what that means. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. In verse 17 it says, He who is quick-tempered acts foolishly. There you have. Someone is quick-tempered, that means he is not, he hasn't learned to suffer long. He reacts wherever his carnal impulses push him or impel him to react. He has no graft. He has no self-control. And this is the first thing we need, brethren. He who, who is quick-tempered acts foolishly, makes mistakes, doesn't think, doesn't really see what the consequences are. The only thing he wants is to satisfy his impulses, which would create more problems than the pain it causes for us to put to death those tendencies. Sometimes, I tell you, when you understand and start practicing it, we feel we are, we are dying. Oh, yeah, I want to open my mouth and say what I want to say. But if you say, no, I'm going to be long-suffering and think about it and not let my impulses master have mastery over me. That's number one, my dear brethren. And let's look at chapter 14 of the Proverbs and verse 29. Proverbs 14, verse 29. He who is slow to wrath, exactly the same thing, long-suffering, has great understanding. He's able to stop, to put the brakes Master himself with the power of God. And you know, Christ starts working with that person. Start manifesting himself with serenity. And this starts the building of an atmosphere of peace and joy. It might not happen right away. In this conviction, in this help, like in case of marriages, that, that cannot get along. But when one of them, or both decide, I'm going to put this to work, Little by little, changes start, but they start with us, brethren. And the benefit of that mastery starts being felt. And the toxic environment that is created by our primary impulses starts to disappear, to evaporate. And that's the beginning of real peace, my dear brethren, of real joy. But it has a cost. 
Like I told you, nice feelings is not enough to say, I love you. He has to have a discipline who will say, I have to put to death something inside me. And the first thing is to be long-suffering. Let's look at another one here in chapter 15 and verse 18 of the book of Proverbs. A wrathful man stirs up strife. There you go. And some people think because they unleash their passions and their feelings that they are okay. They create a series of problems, brethren, that much worse than the feeling of dying inside when we decide. And you know the psychologist Freud, he taught just the opposite of Christ taught. Oh, you cannot really, you know, put a breaks to your sexual impulses because that causes frustrations and causes all types of problems. Christ said, put them to death. Masters them. Used only when it's authorized by God. Apart that, we are to put them to death. And that's what perverting the world today in the youth. Pornography is available everywhere. I just, I'm looking, there is a, a video produced in France of the amazing destruction that that is causing in the population, starting with a childhood until elder people, elderly people. And we need to put those things to death. A wrathful man, I'm reading again, Proverbs 15:18. A wrathful man stirs up strife. He starts causing problems. Then he causes problems against himself. People don't want to do anything with someone who explodes every time. You don't want to approach them. You don't want to work with those people. You don't want them to be my boss. You want to flee from them. So you create a toxic environment, which will be the opposite if we learn to master ourselves and put to death our primary impulses and suffer long until the panorama clears up and we are, have a real hold on ourselves. Then he says, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allays contention. There you go, brother. He does not let his own nature pull him around. We have another one. Chapter 16, verse 32. He who is slow to anger, that means who suffers long, is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. That's what God is looking for, for in us. That self-mastery, brethren, that only God's Holy Spirit can give us. But it's available. We just have to believe it and put it to work. And then there is another one here, chapter 19. Look at this, verse 11. The discretion, discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. And this is, like we saw, part of the character of God. Long-suffering. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. He makes a decision to put to death his impulses and wait. Maybe not talk the same day. Wait until he has a hold on himself. And then he speaks. And we're going to see what happens when you speak after you have been able to master yourself. Or we have been able to master ourselves. The discretion of a man makes him 
slow to anger and in it to his glory to overlook a transgression to overlook i didn't hear it passes over and some of us will react immediately after a transgression of our offense of an insult of whatever we react automatically and we know what it says also a soft answer turns away wrath what does it take to give a soft answer when you've been insulted or you have been yelled at or something it takes long suffering it's those that are able to master themselves and respond with a soft answer. They achieve amazing things, brethren. First of all, the wrath of the other one automatically is written here, comes down. That's power. But power because we're able to have power over ourselves with the power of Christ in us. And I think there is another one. Okay. I think that's plenty. Oh, here. This is beautiful. Chapter 20, verse 3 of the book of Proverbs. Chapter 20, verse 3. It is honorable for a man to stop striving. Since any fool can start a quarrel. It's amazing. It's honorable for a man to stop striving. Since any fool can start a quarrel. To overlook things. To hold our horses, brethren. That's an amazing thing. There are so many of those that are so crucial for us. But I think I said not enough, but at least for our purposes here, to convey the meaning of suffer long and how it means to put something to death in ourselves. That's violence. And the violence take the kingdom by force. Then continue here. Love suffers long and is kind. When we get impatient, we get unkind. It's the first manifestation of not suffering long. It's lack of kindness. Because we start trying to offend with the same way that we were offended. And we start a quarrel. So, it's amazing how he puts together here, love suffers long and is kind. That's someone who is able to give a soft answer and turn down wrath. That power comes not automatically. It comes from an exercise of the Spirit of God in us. We use it to put to death what is there. And actually... I forgot to read your scripture in Romans, which I would take a pause now. In chapter 8, it says, Romans 8.13, if it's here or anywhere, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, here it is again, you see, brethren, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's conditional, condition to enter into eternity. So, love is kind. 
if we were don't suffer long, we become unkind. So, what happens when we are kind? First, a soft answer turns down wrath. And we find the moment to speak because God doesn't demand from us to, you know, to be dumb. If there is something that needs to be corrected, it has to be done the right way. Otherwise, he will start another quarrel. It's not until we are have this hold on ourselves by the power of the Spirit of God that we can answer in a kind way after an offense. So love is kind. So what happens? If we speak with kindness at the right moment because we have that self-mastery that Christ conveys to us if we want to be his disciples, we read in Proverbs 25, verse 11. Proverbs 25, verse 11. A word fitly spoken. How is fitly spoken? When it's spoken with kindness. Not as a reaction to an offense that is loaded with another offense. It will start a quarrel, a war. It's when there is not a threatening attitude. And it says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, like an earring, earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to an obedient ear. It's powerful, brethren. It's much more powerful than an outburst of anger. Much more. It creates an effect. It starts creating an atmosphere of peace. It doesn't happen overnight. But those that decide to follow this way, they're called peacemakers, and they will achieve it. Yeah, they will achieve it. Here is another one, chapter 25, verse 15. By long forbearance, what does that mean? Suffers long. A ruler is persuaded. And a gentle tongue, which means kind tongue, breaks the bones. That's another translation. You say break a bone. I don't know what this is. It breaks the bones. If someone has been insulted or yelled at and something, he has hold of himself and has a gentle answer. He can break bones. That means he has much more power than the offensive and carnal attitude that we are used to have, brethren. Let's continue here because there are 15 characteristics of love that are given to us here. 15. I don't know if I will be able to finish them. You know what? I advise you one thing. Learn them by heart. I have already learned them by heart. 15. It's easy to, to remember. So when you are in a, in a situation, quickly the Spirit of God will bring it back. He said, there it is, you know, like a computer. This is the principle you have to apply right here. Okay. So you start having a hold of yourself and putting to death what needs to be put to death, my dear brethren. So let's continue. So kindness is an absolute consequence of, uh, at least unkindness is a consequence of the lack of patience, of not suffering long. <clears throat> let's continue. <clears throat> Love does not envy. Oh, they put water for us. They, whoever did, you will not lose your reward. Like it's written somewhere. 
<coughs> okay, brother, let's continue here. <coughs> Love does not envy. Remember what the Proverbs says, chapter 27 of the book of Proverbs. Envy, brethren, is extremely dangerous. I will not go into all the details because you know them, but it is important. Chapter 27, verse 4 of the book of Proverbs. 27, verse 4. Wrath is cruel, and anger is torrent, is a torrent. But who is able to stand before jealousy? <clears throat> That's envy. You know, Cain killed his brother because of jealousy. It ended up in murder. You know, the brothers of Joseph, and it's written there in the book of Genesis. I won't go there now. Which literally it says, his brothers envied him. They were jealous of him. What did they do when they saw him coming to find them, to report to his father where they were? Let's kill him. The same mindset of Cain, killing his brother, was in the brothers of Joseph, because of jealousy. So it says, who can stand before jealousy? And then, let's read what Pilate knew concerning those that have delivered Jesus Christ, chapter 27 of the book of Matthew. Let's read that at least. One, Matthew 27. <clears throat> Let's see that. 26. It's verse 18. Verse 27. Yes. Verse 18. Listen what Pilate thought and what's recorded here for us. Chapter 27, verse 18 of the book of Matthew. Pilate, it says here, for he knew that because of envy they had delivered him. And then we say, well, I don't want to kill anyone. But brethren, if we let jealousy grow in our hearts or envy in our hearts, if we don't learn to do the opposite in rejoicing when someone is blessed, when someone has gifts that we do not have, we don't have all the gifts, brethren, and we rejoice when they have it, and we honor God because he's the one who gives all of those things. But remember, and I will quote it for you now, so I don't have time to go there now. He says, he who hates his brother is a murderer. That's in 1 John chapter 3. And that was the result of Cain and Abel's relationship as is written in the context of that letter. First, first, John chapter 3. It is the attitude of Cain towards his brother Abel. And he said, and we know it led to murder. And envy leads to murder if we cultivate jealousy against someone or hatred or envy. So that has to be put to death, crucified. As long as, soon as we felt that should be an alarm in someone who has a converted mind, and he had to bring every thought captive to be the obedience of Jesus Christ. So let's continue, brethren. I don't have time to dwell on each. You can't make a sermon on each one of these. But let's see that each one of these requires a self-denial. It's not just, oh yeah, love suffers long, it's kind, let's do it. Let's remember what's behind that to be able to be effective. Otherwise, we, took it, we take it superficially. We need to have to the root. How can these things be produced? It's because we are putting to death our own old self. Like it's written there in Romans 6, 
like Christ tells us to do. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. You know, God gives his favor to the humble. He resists the proud. God cannot stand pride. It was the first sin. What was that sin? That Satan transgressed the first commandment. You shall not have, you have no other gods before me. And he put himself in the place of God to the point of wanting to overthrow God and Jesus Christ from their throne. You know, that's pride. It was the beginning of pride. God hates it. So that means that love is humble. And Christ said to us in chapter 11 of the book of Matthew, so so many scriptures, I, I'm, I could let you, let the Bible speak for us. Chapter 11 of the book of Matthew, it says, Learn from me. Learn from me. Chapter 11 of the book of Matthew. It's a beautiful scripture, brethren. It says, Verse 29, chapter Matthew 11:29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Those are attributes of love, as we are seeing it described here in chapter 13. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. How does that apply then? Another way. What? Does pride produce? Let's look. We have formulas here that are better than chemical formulas, brethren. They really go to the very crux of things. Chapter 13 of the book of Proverbs. Chapter 13 of the book of Proverbs. Verse 10. By pride comes only contention. Wherever there is a contention in a family, in a marriage, at work, between nations, there is pride. And the first contention in the history of the universe was caused by pride. And if we examine ourselves, we are honest, we have a contention with someone, there is pride there somewhere. So, what does the disciple of Christ do? He said... Learn from me. I'm lowly and gentle. Lowly is translated somewhere else as humble in heart. He said, the works I do is not me who does. It's the Father. The words I speak are not mine. They are the Father's. He didn't boast of anything. He knew all came from his Father, and we should have that attitude too, my dear brethren. So let's continue in chapter 13. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. What does that create? Contention. Humility. When someone is humble, like I said in a study we did in the past, humility is a sound perception of reality. Humility comes from humus, that means dust. A humble person realizes, I'm just dust of the earth. What I am up to, 
I cannot boast about anything. I am dust. It's a good thing to keep in mind, dear brethren, so that love can flow through us. And it's one of the most difficult things for us is to be humble. Mr. Armstrong used to say one of the most difficult things for a human being is, say, is to say, I was wrong. And that's what repentance is. I was wrong. And we need to continue to repent. We often are wrong, brethren. So, he says here, no, verse 5, speaking of love, does not behave rudely. That means you take hold of that nature that wants to express itself like your first primary impulses want to dictate to you, and you put a break to it, and you behave with courtesy. You are courteous, respectful to everyone. Courteous and respectful, not behave rudely. And if you have the temptation to do it, and some people are proud of it, I'm a very much in your face person. I'm very open. I'm very sincere. You know, I'm not a hypocrite. I have to let my feelings go. He's not a hypocrite. He is a guy who is not able to have any self-control. That's very different. People bring that as excuse. Oh, I cannot be a hypocrite. I don't like that person. No, what God does command us. Put a break to your own tastes and do what is right before me. And treat everybody with respect, with love, and not rudely. And what, how much less in a couple? The Apostle Peter is very clear about this. Things that we have, women have to learn to be respectful and courteous, especially to women. They are a weaker vessel. The ears of a woman are more sensitive than ours. If we raise our voice to a woman, it sounds overwhelming. You raise your voice to a man, it's not, it doesn't do him much harm. If you put a flashlight in the eyes of a woman in the dark, they just have a tremendous impact because they were made more sensitive, more empathetic, like you were said in, in the sermonette. They suffer more from heat or from cold. So it applies very much to a couple. Does not seek his own. Wow, this takes self-denial. I remember a joke. I don't know if you're going to laugh or not. I'm not good at telling jokes. But two guys were exhausted, went up in a mountain, and they found a little ranch in the mountain, and they bought a cheese, and boy, they want to eat that cheese. And then the one took his knife and cut the cheese, and boy, he grabbed the the biggest part, the old one told him, hey, that's not very courteous. Uh, you should let the other one choose first. And he said, what you you have chosen? He said, the small one, well, you got it. You got it there, you see. So anyway, that's an excuse for people that don't want to recognize. Don't seek your own. Put the other one first. I have a beautiful example. We have it. I'm going to see I find it here in the book of Genesis. A beautiful example of that, that attitude that can help us, dear brethren. In the book of Genesis, I think is pretty much at the beginning. Let me see if I find it. Okay. It says, 
brethren. I need to find it. If I don't find it, I have to give it to you. And uh, I have to give it to you, but it's, it's just beautiful. Yeah, chapter... Oh, brother. I'm sorry, brother. Uh, I'm glad you laugh. Uh, you're, that's very kind of you towards me. You know? Anyway, you remember that when, when uh, Abraham came out from Egypt with Lot, they had lots of flocks. They were very rich, both of them. Abraham probably much more than Lot. And then there were so many, so much cattle there, goats and sheep and cows, there was not enough pasture. And the, the shepherds of Abraham and the shepherds of Lot start quarreling among themselves. And then it says there, and the Canaanite, they dwelt in the land. Abraham knew when a country, a nation, or a family is divided against itself, it cannot stand. And he knew we have to have peace in ourselves. And also he had God's Holy Spirit. And he said, listen, Lot, we are brethren. There, let's not fight. There's not enough pasture here. Let's do one thing. Let's separate. You choose where you want to go. He gave him the first option. And that's not an easy thing to do when you have probably hundreds of cattle to feed. You want to look for the best part of the land to feed your cattle. But Abraham that had that character. He said to Lot, you choose first where you want to go. I will go the other side. I will go the other way. That's a beautiful example. You choose first where you want to go. And you know, he didn't make a very wise choice, although he saw the, the plain of the Jordan with a lot of greenery. Well, you know, he, he ended up in Sodom. And you know what happened to him? He was taken prisoner and he lost his wife. And anyway, a lot of things happened to him. But that's an example for us. I cannot dwell too much on each one of these beautiful characteristics of love. You choose first. Go wherever you want to go. I will go the opposite direction. That's a beautiful thing. Love suffers long and is kind, does not envy. Love does not parade itself, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. In the end, the one who is generous will win. Both win. When there is generosity, people think one has to lose. No. Both win. Because the generous is blessed for it. It's not provoked. That means it doesn't get angry. Once again, it's slow to anger. It's patient. Paul says, get angry, but sin not. But it has to be something very serious, my dear friend. And we cannot break the principle of suffering long. And it has to be, with we sometime, maybe the time will come, we have to be firm about something, and probably some anger will come. We have to be righteous anger. We cannot insult a person. Christ says, if you insult someone, it can be murder. It's right there in chapter 5 of the book of Matthew. If you treat someone with hatred and add a bad word to it, like raka, 
in the Hebrew there, in the Aramaic, or other word, it can be murder in the eyes of God. So, it says, it's not provoke. In, in, the, in the old King James said easily, but that is not in the Hebrew. I mean, in the Greek, it's, it's not. So, it's not provoke, that means doesn't get angry. It means, in a way, I already explained it in the first part, suffers long. Things not evil. There is a better translation. I saw it could be clear understood. Keeps no grudges. Love keeps no grudges. That's not easy. It means to be put to death. It is to fight with all our might, not to let grudges take cover our mindset and our attitudes. Bring captive every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We have to forgive and forget. Some people say that cannot be done. Yes, it can be done. Like he says, resist the devil, he will flee from you. The devil will be bringing a lot of influence for us to keep grudges and to create division and create, create a toxic atmosphere of hatred in our own environment. But if we are able to deny ourselves with the power of God and put to death grudges, but taking a decision, I'm not going to think of this. I'm going to reject it. And every time it comes to you, you reject it because you have made a decision not to let your mind be taken over by grudges. It comes a time, brethren, when it kind of slips. It falls asleep in the back of your mind. It doesn't come back again. If we, if we don't stimulate it by trying to bring it up, because some people have that custom. Oh, yeah, what some, somehow did to me. And then the other one did to me. And they did it to me. And they bring that over and over. We should not have that type of mindset, brethren. To have a clean mind. Not to keep grudges. To forgive and forget. It is possible when we don't stimulate the remembrance. When we put it to death. Because we have made a decision and are going to let it take hold of me and change my attitude toward this person. And a time comes where it's like it never happened. And God does it for us. God forgives. God forgets. So can, what sermon can be said about this? But I wanted to put it in the perspective of how all of these characteristics of love require to put to death our own nature, to crucify it to follow Christ, to deny ourselves day by day. Verse 6, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. There could be many applications for this, brethren. Maybe some people that have done wrong to us are suffering and uh, because of their sins. If we rejoice because of that, we are rejoicing in iniquity. And the Apostle Paul tells us, remember in the Proverbs, in uh, chapter 12 of the book of, of Romans, we can find an application of this. You don't, re you don't rejoice because someone who sins against you is, is suffering or is going through difficult situations. In verse 20 of chapter 12 of the book of Romans, Romans 12:20, the Apostle Paul tells us, what could be an application of this statement. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. 
If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. So, when people receive something totally unexpected, when they receive good for evil, it takes them by surprise, my dear brethren. And sooner or later, they will change. Might not change right away. This is a process. It's a process that takes perseverance, absolute conviction that we need to put to death our own nature, and God will start working through us. And that beautiful statement of Christ about the Holy Spirit says, those that believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from the bosom. If we start acquiring this, we learn by heart these 15 attributes of love, brethren, will become a blessing to those that are around us. We will be blessed. It will take suffering. Absolutely. Sometimes you feel you are dying, and it's true. Part of you is dying. But God will take care of that, and he will give us the wonderful blessing of the spirit of his own spirit flowing through us when we are crucified with him. Let's look at one. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. What is the truth? All of your commandments are truth. All of your commandments are truth, and we're commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves, even if they have harmed us. That's an application. Could be maybe others that better than that, but this one, I think, it could apply. You don't rejoice when someone is suffering because of his iniquity. We will do good to those that have offended us, dear brethren. And then he continues uh, here, does not rejoice in iniquity, to rejoice in the truth, bears all things. Wow. It becomes kind of harder and harder as we are about to finish this. Bears all things. The best way to translate this, if you consult some dictionaries or concordance, it means covers all things. How does that apply in love? Covers all things. There is a proverb, if I can find it, my dear brethren, and you probably remember it. Here it is, chapter 17, verse 9. If we in this occasion, maybe you, this is, has many applications, this chapter is a marvelous, masterful chapter. But one application could be, I'm going to read it to you, it says, bear all things. Like I said, one of the possible translations of bear from the Greek is to cover. And we find an application of that, chapter 17 of the book of Proverbs, verse 9. Chapter 17, verse 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates the best of friends. What does that take, brethren? Self-control. Control of the tongue. Control of the tongue, brethren. To put to death our tendency to say, Oh, I know this about this and that. And we have that temptation to speak out what, just to feel important, 
or anyway to have something to say sometimes we think it's better to speak and no, sometimes it's better not to say than to say and this could be the case I repeat the proverb, you read it there he who covers a matter seeks love and he who repeats a matter separates the best of friends we all have defects and we all have things to be corrected brethren but we should not, never sit down and start speaking evil of so-and-so about his weaknesses, of her weaknesses, and uh, abounding in them. That, most of the time, is the desire we have, carnal desire, to feel above others. Oh, I don't have the problem. I don't have this problem. Look at this. She or he has this problem. And uh, is our own nature trying to promote our own self, exactly what we need to put to death. And the tongue, according to James chapter 3, dear brethren, James chapter 3, and I don't like the translation of the new King James. You should look at the translation of the old King James, and it says, James chapter 3, verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. And uh, the translation in the Old King James, we all offend in many things because we let our carnal nature overpower the command to put it to death. If anyone does not stumble, it's better to say does not offend in word he is a perfect man, able also to bride the whole body. That means someone who has put to death, who is putting to death his own carnal nature, and is able to hold his tongue and not to say what his nature wants to say, and you, put, you cover. You cover weaknesses of others because we have our own weaknesses. Only when we have the need to correct someone, because God says if you know someone is sinning, it's not to be told to anyone else. It's our duty to go to the person. But how? Let's look at Galatians chapter 6. There is a way to proceed which I have not learned in many occasions to do, brethren. I, we have to learn to put to death our nature, to crucify with, be crucified with Christ. Chapter 6 of Galatians, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, it has, it has to be something serious, not a little word I didn't like or something that... No. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Spiritual means you in whom the Spirit rules your actions and your words were the spirits put to death, the works of the flesh. You who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So, if someone is, we know someone is getting drunk every week, nobody else knows it, it's not for us to go and tell everybody. 
That's that's a serious thing, brethren, to defame someone. Our duty is to go and restore him in a spirit of gentleness, looking at ourselves. If we don't have that problem, we might have another one. And if God see our attitude, he might teach us a lesson, my, brethren, my dear brethren. So, bear us all things means it covers what it has to be covered. When you have to mention it, you do it like it's commanded in the word of God, not like our instincts dictate to us. Bears all things, believes all things, we should give people the benefit of the doubt, especially the church. If they have, if they have Holy Spirit, God is working with them as he is working with us. So, believe all things in a way can be applied that way. God is working with him as he is working with me. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. God will take care of that problem. I don't have to be putting my finger where it's not my place, my dear brethren. Bear all things, believes all things, hopes all things. When we see people going the wrong way, we know God said he doesn't want anyone to be lost. And we hope for that. And we pray for that. We don't we are not quick to condemn anyone, my dear brethren. That belongs to Christ, not to us. He has the judgment was given to him. Endures all things. How in the world can we endure all things, brethren? This looks like too much. But let's see how can this can be explained. Let's look at First Peter chapter two and verse twenty. First Peter Chapter 2 and verse 20. He says, Oh, let's see. Verse 23. Oh, let's read from verse 20. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? Like you suffer, suffer all things. But when you do good and suffer for it, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. And he says here, verse 23, Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. He was suffering all things. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Now, when we are being overwhelmed by oppression, brethren, how can we suffer all things in a situation like that? Let me tell you exactly how we should proceed. He says here, in Romans chapter 12, Verse 21, Romans 12:21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And in verse 19, we read, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. 
I will repay, says the Lord. Brethren, this takes self-control. This takes putting to death our own desire to respond in kind. This takes a lot of conviction. But when we're convicted of that, we can suffer all things. And we commit the situation to God. And he will take care of it. If we say to God, you stay there, I take care of myself. If you are in a covenant with God, he say, okay, go ahead. Let's see how it works for you. And we are going to create a series of problems. I guarantee that to you, brethren. When we return evil for evil, we create a lot of bad situations. We create a toxic environment. When we suffer all things, and we have the conviction that God will take care of it, because I'm obeying his instructions. I'm not taking things in my own hands. He says here, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to the wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If we take that to heart, and we have that violence that is required to put to death our primary impulses, we'll live in an atmosphere of joy and peace. It might take time. It will take time. But our character will be transforming from glory to glory in the same image of our master. That's what we should be doing, brethren, now that the world is approaching more than ever at the speed to the end. And we will be ready to restore this world based on love.